Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This is Erin Peterson, your host, and we are on episode 26. Diana Barr of Boeing. She is the global head of executive talent acquisition for Boeing. And you can imagine what an interesting role that is for all kinds of reasons. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But first, a quick shout out to ATAP, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, my sponsor and an organization that I am very fond of. They have all kinds of interesting resources for those of us who are serious about talent acquisition. And uh, you can become a member for just a small amount of money, $95 as an individual member. And nothing at all if you get your boss to sponsor your team as a team membership. So I would really encourage you to go to atapglobal.org and take a look at all of the advantages uh, that you can get through that great professional association. One of the most interesting happened recently. So on September 2nd, it was Global TA Day, and uh, they recorded all of these presentations that were made by a sort of a follow the sun virtual event, super interesting stuff presented, lots and lots of interesting technologies and people and personalities and big ideas and process fixes. And you can have access to all of that by going on atapglobal.org and joining. It's only available to members, but you know what? It's worth it. So I would highly recommend you get there if you're not already a member and tell them Aaron sent you. So without further ado, let's get to Diana Barr of Boeing and all of the wisdom that she brings to the table from a really interesting career in executive recruiting. Here she comes. Welcome to the podcast. This is Erin Peterson, and we have a terrific guest for you today. We're excited to have a, a very big fish in the talent pool, Diana Barr of Boeing. Diana, welcome. Erin, thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to be here, and it's uh, fun to have an opportunity to reconnect with you. All right, great. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to jump right into it. Especially, I'm excited to talk to you because you lead executive talent acquisition for Boeing, which, well, first of all, that's a really big and important company to, you know, the overall global economy. But then when you're hiring executives for them, I can imagine there's just a little bit of pressure, just a little bit of interesting stuff going on. And we want to hear all about that, but mostly how you got there, what you think about, how you improve your process over time, what experiences you're drawing on as you do that. So we have a lot to talk about. But let me just kind of give a quick little background here in terms of where you come from and how you landed in this position. And then I want to hear it from your perspective. So you actually started your career in executive recruiting in uh, you know some smaller firms, and then you spent some time at Hydric and Struggles, of course, one of the largest and most prestigious executive search firms. But you also spent time in some corporate teams like Inesco and Granger, and of course now Boeing. So sounds like a great career so far, um, and we want all the details. Tell us about how did all that happen? 
Sure. So it's it's been a really fun journey. And uh, I did start as an HR generalist with actually Marriott International. Oh, I forgot that. And, uh, and, they're, and they're a former client of mine when I was in RPO. So oh. that's a really bad one to forget. So yes, super interesting environment at Marriott. Wonderful company, wonderful HR organization. And it was just a great learning place. And during that journey, I realized that it was the recruiting aspect that I really loved the most. And so um, that's when I decided to leave Marriott. And I actually, at that point, then went into executive recruiting and focused on that. And then over the years, I focused on executive, working in the executive search space, But largely driven by the economy, I also had opportunities to work for private equity, which Inesco was actually a private equity company, and uh, as well as two corporations, uh, Granger being one of them, and then, of course, more recently, Boeing. So having that experience on, on both sides of the fence has been interesting, and it's also helped me to develop a skill set where I now focus on the creation of internal executive search functions for companies. So this is now the third time that from a green field, I've set up an internal executive search function. And that brings me, brings us to the present day. Okay. So you're that person that the search execs love to hate because (laughs) (laughs) you're brought in to basically displace them. And I've, I've done this before. I've seen this before. You come in as the head of talent acquisition and they say, we're spending too much on search. You have to figure out how to fix that. So it really becomes, you know, part of your mission and, and part of your performance management. Uh, accountability. So tell us about that. How, I mean, how do you do that when you come into an organization that has specifically told you we need to reduce search spend or, you know, some other uh, business case for doing so? Sure. And I find the, the business cases are, are usually this, this reducing the search spend is, is certainly significant. Uh, the other reason is, is a lot of times companies like to be able to control and maintain their own external pipeline and, and relationships. And so that that's very important to organizations as, as well. Mm-hmm. I find that it's easier to set it up from a, a green field because um, we, we've, I've done this enough times now that I've figured out a, a formula that seems to work. And one of the things that to me has has really been useful is to treat it as if it's a, a, a business within a business. So in other words, we try to operate exactly like a retained executive search firm with the exception of we're, we're embedded within a corporation and that corporation is our client. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, we are on the payroll, so we're, we're part of the corporation. But I find that setting up the processes, the function, as well as the way that we manage our, our clients or our internal hiring executives works best if we look at it through the lens of as if we're running a re- retained executive search firm. Okay. So you're leveraging your executive recruiting experience from the agencies and firms you've been with. So if you, uh, for example, get a call from one of the internal executives at Boeing and they say, we need to start a search for you know, an SVP of, you know, uh, let's call it, um, you know, production. Should I picture you actually pulling out all the templates and tools and formats and uh, sourcing 
strategies from your time in search? We, we do. So we operate exactly as a retained executive firm where that hiring manager where, would engage us, would conduct a service level agreement meeting or an intake meeting to make sure that we really understand that search. We conduct or lay out all of the search strategy. We perform all of the, the sourcing as well as the candidate development. And uh, we conduct all of the initial interviews, executive assessments, if those are involved, as well as then the end-to-end search process and leading those candidates and the, the hiring manager ultimately to a placement. Okay. Interesting. And uh, how big a team do you have? Right now, we're just, this is a, started from a green field in Boeing. So we just have a handful of us. The, the other thing is too, is given what's happening in the economy, we've frozen or put a hold on growing this particular function. It was supposed to grow more assertively, but given the impacts to the economy right now, we're taking a pause, conducting searches, but we're not growing the function at this time until the economy stables. That that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's just all kinds of external factors, I think, that impact everything that you do. Should I picture your daily activities then more around refining the process, maybe doing a little bit of pipelining? What what, what does that look like? Sure. So we actually have a, a number of, of executive searches that we're working on. As, as you know, even when there's hiring freezes, mm-hmm. uh, the executive space never stops, right? So there's always attrition and there's internal mobility where people move into other roles. There's restructuring, all which create new or uh, openings that have to be backfilled. So we actually have a pretty robust portfolio of searches that we're conducting right now across all functions and across a a global platform. If you are the internal, albeit regular search firm or acting as as a search firm would, do the executives have a choice? You know, if they have a favorite external search firm, can they still go to those uh, resources? Or is it sort of start with us and then if we can't solve the problem, we'll go external? Ideally, that's what what I've found is the model that works best is mm-hmm. if uh, executives can come to us first there and and we can determine does it make sense to do the, ser- the search work internally or externally mm-hmm. and there are certain times where you you do need to do executive search for example if there's an incumbent in place uh, or if it's confidential search for some reason uh, everyone knows I the company that I work for so it's it's hard to do confidential work. In that sure. case, it makes sense to have an external search firm. Uh, in certain countries, while we do operate on a global platform, there are certain countries where it's conducive to have a physical office or presence and where you might want to engage a search firm. So there's a few different reasons where we might recommend immediately to engage a search firm. That said, there is an awful lot that we can do internally across almost every function and almost every geography. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm curious to know, your title is Global Head of Executive Recruiting. In a normal year, whatever that means, but in a normal year where we don't have a pandemic going on, um, how much of your work is outside of the U.S. versus in the U.S.? Mm, That's an interesting question. Well, I think we're going to see it a big shift. Initially, it is it has been primarily in the U.S. with a few exceptions 
that have been internationally. I think once the economy stabilizes, particularly in the aerospace sector, I think we're going to see more growth internationally. Aviation in, in particular, the future growth for aviation is anticipated largely in China and Africa. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see a lot more international moving forward. But right now, we've been pretty U.S. focused. And I remember when Boeing moved its headquarters to Chicago, I was living there at the time, and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought there would be never a way to extract the, the roots that had been laid long ago in Seattle. So obviously, you joined well after that. I, I'm just curious, culturally, are there still some remnants of the, the Pacific Northwest in Boeing? That's an interesting question. Uh, and one of the things that I found is is Boeing is truly a very global company. So mm-hmm. we, we do have a, a team members who are scattered across the globe. And while the company was founded in the in the Puget Sound area, and there's still a strong presence there, there's certainly manufacturing facilities and so forth. We do have a, a feel of a global company because everyone is so dispersed across the globe. So I don't feel a particular culture from any specific region in the U.S. It, to me, feels very global. Partly personal here, I am an aviation enthusiast. I actually come from a flying family. My dad was a pilot. My husband is a pilot, oh, wow. flies a private jet for mm-hmm. someone here. And so we we actually have a little airplane of our own because I want to benefit from my husband's pilot skills. <laughs> so <laughs> we actually kept our little airplane in Seattle out at Boeing Field. Oh my and goodness. It, mm-hmm. it was so much fun to fly in there occasionally in our tiny little four-seater and, of course, see all of the new, newly assembled aircraft lined up, ready for the particular branding for who you, you know whatever airline had purchased it. Sure. And they, they all look very generic until they get the, the nice uh, colors on them, which is, is super cool to see. And it's, um, it's just an amazing company with a, a storied history. And, of course, some challenges. You don't do do anything big uh, without having some challenges. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. There, sure. There's been some challenges uh, for Boeing recently. I shouldn't say just recently. I mean, it's been a rough couple of years, notwithstanding the pandemic, which has decreased demand significantly. And then there's the 737 MAX thing. So I won't ask you to answer to any of that. That's not your area. But I'm really curious to know, when you call up a, an executive mm-hmm. and want to talk to them about an opportunity, how do they react? What what impact on your employment brand is all of those sort of uh, issues that need to be dealt with? There are a lot of people like yourself who are, are aviation or aerospace enthusiasts. So I find there's actually quite a bit of interest. That said, this is a very challenging time for for all companies. And so you asked, what do do I say to to candidates when when we're trying to recruit them? And I think it's really important to focus on the strengths of, of the company, regardless of what company you're working for. But there, there are a lot of strengths with, at Boeing, and certainly it's a very iconic company, 104 years old, so there's a lot of history. And the thing that's important to remember is the company has prevailed through a lot of different business cycles in 104 years. The pandemic and the impact to the economy and all of these challenges that we're facing right now are very significant. I feel confident that particularly companies that have been in business for a very long time, that they will prevail. 
And and I think that's something that's important for for candidates to recognize is that the, if the company has seen all different business cycles and wars and all other different types of challenges in the world, that we'll make it through this too. So I think that putting that in perspective is, is important. A lot of people too are interested in, in Boeing because as one, one young engineer said to me, it's the opportunity to make cool things. And it, it's, we send people to space, right? We're, we're building autonomous vehicles. We're right at the cutting edge of AI and quantum computing. And so for individuals who, who really are energized by that type of work, it, it's, in a, it's woven and embedded in everything that we do. Even if you're in an HR job or a finance job, you're still able to be completely immersed and surrounded by making cool things. And then I think the last thing is focusing on the on the corporate social responsibility. I think that's very important, particularly to millennials. People want to know that you're working for a company that is trying to leave the world a better place. And we're doing a lot with community engagement and sustainability and and certainly the the innovation that we do and trying to leave the planet a better place is can be really attractive to candidates. Oh, I love that. And uh, there's a long history of contributing and now environmental uh, improvements. Am I right? Absolutely. And, and uh, noise abatement as well. Noise and energy. And, and there's there's all kinds of innovation that is occurring. And, and certainly with, with issues like a pandemic, there's a lot of different antibacterial surfaces and, and other things that, that can be created to make products safer. Okay. I'm convinced. So if I were an executive you were trying to recruit, I would say, okay, great, I'm in. So what's the role? But um, what advice do you have for talent acquisition leaders or executive recruiting leaders who are trying to navigate that difficult time in their company's history while it's still happening? What, what, What advice do you give them? Yeah, I would say they really have to focus on looking at what the what the strengths or the the value proposition is of your company, and every company has them, right? Some companies may may have that greater strengths than others, but every company has some strengths, and you really need to focus on that and understand what it is that you have to offer candidates. And in my opinion, that's how you go to market. Good advice. All right. Our, our awareness is heightened these days with regard to, of course, diversity, moving women and people of color forward. How does that look at Boeing? Well, first of all, we have a very strong diversity leadership team. So, so that's helpful. And we can partner closely with them in addition to building our own external networks of talent as well as we make a lot of investments in our internal talent, which is why those talent reviews are so important to be able to track diverse internal talent and make sure that we have the most inclusive slates as possible. Additionally, we recently created a racial justice task force that is going to be tasked with that initiative surrounding diversity as well as we have a very strong equity action plan that we have in place. And uh, we've committed over the next three years to substantially increase our African-American representation, as well as all backgrounds across the company. That is critical, I think, especially considering the multitude of roles, levels, geographies that you have that you're serving. I mean, it, it seems to me there'd be a lot of opportunity to make 
some pretty big strides uh, with regard to diversity, especially at the senior levels. Exactly. There, there are gaps, though, in the aer- aerospace industry. So, for example, in particularly the very technical roles like en- engineering and so forth, you see fewer, you see less diversity, and that's an area that we're working very hard. Do you, do you know of any secrets or anybody who's really getting it right out there in terms of growing the right talent from the from the uh, the get go? Uh, well, that's that's a good question, and I think I think every whether it be a technology business or aerospace business is, is challenged with that that same initiative. I will say we have a really strong global engagement function where we make substantial investments in the external marketplace, so in the communities that we live in, uh, as well as towards racial equity. But we find that investing in that STEM learning or exposure around middle school is is critical. By the time they get to high school, it's too late. So we make a lot of investments there. But parallel to that, then, as we were talking about earlier, it's really important to build your own talent. So we offer a lot of different educational opportunities for people who want to uh, pursue different degrees or certifications uh, that if it's related to a STEM area that the, the company will very generous, generously support. So I think it has to be a, a multifaceted effort, right, or an omnichannel effort where you're, you're targeting youth so that you have your future pipe, pipeline. You're also building your internal talent as well as you're building those, those external relationships and, and pipelines. So without that omnichannel approach, it, you just can't make it work. Right, right, right. I like your your reference to um, building your own talent too. I I think not so much the engineering, but more the trades is a, a drum that I beat regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's just not enough people who know how to weld, electricians, plumbers, and they're all necessary, and they make a terrific living wage. Uh, you can a wage you can raise a family on and get there pretty quickly. And I just I scratch my head when I think of why are we pushing so many young people into a debt-ridden college four years when, frankly, college is just not right for everyone. We we would do well, I think, to kind of introduce to them the opportunity to make a, a great living uh, doing work that's needed today that, you know, they could gain the skills in a relatively short period of time and probably have someone else pay for it and uh, have a job right away. So I know that's not your particular area of focus. I'm just curious to know what what you hear about that in your organization. Well, we, d- we do hire those individuals because the, the that those types of trades are important in manufacturing some of the product that, w- that we have. So, so that is uh, certainly something that's, that's very needed. I, I definitely think so. And I think it's never been never more needed than now when there's a number of people who are sort of adrift as a result of the pandemic. A little shout out to Mike Rowe of Mike Rowe Works. He's one of my favorite voices in this space. Uh, who has a scholarship that you can apply for if you're a young person wanting to get a career in the trades. And so I just think we need to do everything possible to make sure people are set up for success and 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 have the dignity of being able to contribute to society, to their family, make a good living, all of that. So hats off to Boeing for doing good work in that area as well. Okay, so we're not going to talk about Boeing anymore. Let's talk about you and your career. Let's back up because when you said you started with Marriott as an HR generalist, but you you paid your dues. You spent like four or five years in, uh, in that role, but you figured out pretty quickly that 
recruiting was probably more of your favorite function. It's a sub-function under HR, as everybody knows. But in my experience, it is decidedly different from any of the other sub-functions in that for me, it's a little more like sales and less like process management, although there's process involved. I'm just curious, do you do you recall back when you kind of made that decision to step into specializing in recruiting? What what was going through your mind back then? So it yes, I, I came upon that determination when when I was at Marriott that I, I really loved the recruiting aspect and and particularly at the executive levels. And the driver for that was that it just was extremely rewarding. It was a win for the company. If you're doing it right, it's a it's a big win for the company. And it can change a candidate's life for the better. To me, that was just a very rewarding career. And it was at that point then that I switched over and really decided to focus on in that specialty. So you actually started doing executive recruiting at Marriott in that role? I had exposure to it, but then I uh, that was the reason I left Marriott is because I no longer wanted to be an HR generalist and I really Got wanted it. to focus okay. on executive recruiting. So you knew you you probably need to uh, needed to go somewhere to get that experience then. I know there are people who say if you specialize too early, you really limit your options. Do, do you see it that way or do you see it differently? I see it differently. I think companies, uh, getting back to the, the discussion we were having around building your own talent, I feel that companies really value cross-training individuals. So I think you can you can specialize and and recruiting is an area where you can certainly continue to grow your career and and stay in that specialist role. But that background is also very helpful if you decide to move into other areas of the business as well. But you can't really specialize too early. I think it it just builds and enhances your your skill set as you move forward. I agree, but then I'm a friendly set of ears to that <laughs> idea. So. <laughs> um, Advice. What advice would you give to the 24-year-old Diana, career-wise or otherwise? <laughs> sure. Uh, one of the things I, I wish I had known when when I was younger is to just to focus on my strengths. I think a lot of the academic world and, and when you're earlier in, in career, there's a lot of focus on where you have opportunities to improve, and that and that's certainly important. I think having that growth mindset, but I do feel that, that it's really critical that individuals, and I wish I had known this earlier, learn what their strengths are and, and leverage those because that's where you're really going to be, be able to develop your greatest talent. And I think the other thing that I wish I would have learned very on, very early on, although I was lucky that I stumbled into something that I really enjoy. And I think people early in their career should figure out what is it that they enjoy, where are their passions lie, because gosh, we spend so much time in the workplace and it is so much more rewarding if if you're doing something you love. So, so true. It makes all the difference. Back to your point about knowing your strengths, what strengths, what, what would you say are your top two or three that you now know that maybe you didn't recognize earlier? I'm fortunate in that I found a profession that is very well aligned with what I love to do. And I think some of those things just happen to be my strength. So one of them would be, I love being a connector. I love meeting person A and person B and then figuring out how to connect them or how they can be mutually beneficial to one another. And that 
certainly is a critical skill in, in executive search. I also love to meet people and learn people's story. And that also is, is a, a, a core competency when it comes to executive recruiting is, is developing those relationships and, and certainly remembering people's stories so that you can continue to, to be that connector. So those are two things that I love and have a passion for, but also have turned out to be strengths in what I do professionally. You know, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I always have to ask the sensitive question about a mistake. Can you tell us, tell my listeners, especially young professionals who may think they want to be a talent acquisition leader someday, is there a particular thing you look back at as something you wish you'd done differently uh, or a mistake you made that you really learned from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that that I learned is particularly in the in the recruiting field is when you're building a team, make sure that you have a team of hunters. And while there's a lot of recruiters out there in the executive space, or if you're working in spaces where the talent is very scarce and in high demand, like earlier you mentioned technology, you really need people who love to hunt. And you need people who are intellectually curious and love to try to figure out where the talent may be and how to attract them. In the past, I hired an, some individuals who, who weren't truly hunters, who were more traditional corporate recruiters, but they didn't really have that hunter mindset. And, and I found that that it was less effective for the way that executive search works. With talent becoming more scarce, and as you said, with the diversity initiatives and the challenges there of not having enough diverse talent, you really need hunters to in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. And other than being adept at using technology to uncover talent that maybe wouldn't have otherwise been able to be found, what 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 are those core skills? You said intellectual curiosity, maybe some some technologically adept search skills. What what else goes into that bucket? Yeah, I think too. Um, being uh, very, very research driven, I find that the best search in, occurs when you have a very strategic research mindset of how to identify talent and where they are sitting today, because top talent doesn't, they don't apply to jobs. So you have to find them, right? You have to quote unquote, head on them, in, in, at least in my, in my experience. So I think someone having a real research mindset, someone who reads a lot of newspapers, stays very current on current events and what companies are doing and what's happening in the marketplace and trends and stock prices and all of those types of things to be able to figure out where you can find the right talent and what might motivate them to make a change and hopefully join your company, right? Or the company that you're, work, you're, you're representing if you're, if you're on the search side. So I think those types of skills are, are really critical and should be embedded in that hunter mindset. And those are the things, in my opinion, that make a, make a top recruiter. Also, the ability to, re- to relate to a lot of different people, both on the client and the candidate side you have an ability to make people feel comfortable and to connect and certainly understand what what they're doing and what their competencies are, it's that's really a recipe for success. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, Diana, but I just would love to know, is there any other thoughts or advice that you have for future recruiting leaders as they think about whether they'd someday want to lead executive recruiting for a truly global firm like like Boeing or be a headhunter or work in Hydric and Struggles as one of the search consultants? What what advice do you have? Yeah, I, w- I would just say it's a it's a phenomenal career. You get to meet a lot of incredibly interesting people. You get to, you have the opportunity to work almost everywhere in the world because the world is so global now. And if you have a passion for diversity and, and, and doing the right thing, it, it can be also a very rewarding career because it's a win-win for the company and the candidate. So um, I, I would highly recommend it. All right. Well, you're singing my tune because I definitely agree with that. (laughs) Diana, thank you so much for your time today and for the great discussion. Thanks for giving us all the great insights into your illustrious company. It's, uh, it's an amazing role that you have and you've had an amazing career and we appreciate you giving us a little window into what that's been like for you. Wishing you all the luck and all the best in the future We'll look forward to staying in touch. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.